The following sermon was preached at Selma Community Church, a church in Jefferson City that exists to build communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God by connecting people to Christ and community. For more information, you can find it at www.somajc.org. So peace be with you. I want you to grab your Bibles, and we are going to be all over. This is going to be a, a Bible, um, I, I don't know, Bible Monopoly, Bible Jump Jeopardy, uh, Bible Russian Roulette. Like, we're going to be all over the place. You ever been to the time, and, and I've, I've had this, uh, where people will, they'll grab their Bible, and they'll go, I was, <laughs> actually, this happened this week, a girl was talking to me, she goes, Pastor, I was reading a verse, and it, it told me that the righteous will be, will strike down, and, and she started reading some random verse out of Isaiah, and I was like, Oh, how did you get there? Like, is this your Bible reading or, you know, how, how did you get to that point? She goes, no, I just opened up the Bible and said, God, show me something. And so she found a random verse like, for the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will choose Israel and will let them own their land. And I said, oh, I'm going to own land. Like, no, no, please don't do that. Please don't do that. And, and it may feel that way today, but we're, we're actually going to be centering everything in prayer, in prayer uh, today. We're going to be talking about having to have a fully charged prayer life, a fully charged prayer life. Last week, we talked about how most of us, especially in Generation Z and Alpha, walk around with half-charged phones, usually on a half a percent or less, um, and, and, and how you can actually fully charge your life. And when you fully charge it, oh, it, it is an amazing thing that happens. I remember um, when, when first time I got my phone out of its box and I turned it on and it was fully charged at the full bar. I was like, ooh, that's nice. Because I don't know about you, but back in the day when I first used to get phones and stuff, they never came charged. You always had to charge them. But now they come charged. It's really nice and really ready to go. And you're ready to use it. And move forward. And now I want your life to be like that. Be fully charged, ready to go, ready to be used. Uh, there's this old pastor. His name is F.B. Meyer. He was an author of a great little book called The Secret of Guidance. And he said this, and I love it. He said, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. The great tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. And what happens is a lot of us don't make prayer an everyday occurrence. This is something we, we, we kind of do whenever we get around to it, instead of saying, hey, this is the thing we're going to do to lead our life. And, and, and what happens is we don't make prayer like eating and sleeping and breathing and walking and talking, but it actually is like this glass-covered box that you have to break in case of emergency. And that's not what prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is supposed to be the other end of it. It's something you do. And it's true, we often think of prayer with crises in our life. And so we make prayer the thing that we have to do when we're in trouble. God, intervene right now. But really, it should be a part of your everyday walk. I heard the story of a man who encountered a bit of trouble while flying a little airplane. He called the control tower. I wouldn't do the sounds, but I chose not to. He called the control tower and said, pilot tower, 300 miles from the airport, about 600 feet above the ground is what he said. Uh, and, and I'm out of fuel. I'm descending rapidly. Please advise. Over. I don't know why you have to say over at the end of it, but he said over. So please advise. Over. In the tower, uh, said tower to pilot, uh, repeat after me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be the... He's going to crash. Some of y'all missed that. Prayer is, for the most part, an untapped resource that remains unexplored. Prayer, for the most part, is this untapped resource that remains unexplored. And and what happens is that there's treasure there that can be unearthed. It's talked about more than anything else, and it's practiced less than anything else. But we talk about it all the time. 
We, we talk about, oh man, hey, you should pray about that. Matter of fact, one of my biggest annoyances, and I've really tried to uh, uh, work on this myself, is when somebody tells me something, we're talking, and they're like, hey brother, I'm dealing with this, that, and the third, and they'll go, okay, hey, I'll pray about that. And listen, I know you, and I know me, and I know we all have the best intentions in our heart to actually think and pray about it, right? We always do. But what happens 30 seconds later? You pick up your phone, you move on, something else distracts you, and you don't know it until you see that person again and go, right? And either you can, at that point, tell them the truth, I did not pray for you, which makes you a horrible person, so who would say that? Or you can lie to them. Yeah, brother, I've been praying for you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, Lord's Lord's bless you. Amen. Amen. Which is not true. So you know what I've tried to do on the mix, on the flip side? If you tell me something, I'm probably awkwardly going to stop you and pray for you right there. Because I'm sick of forgetting and then trying to lie to you. I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm just like, let's just pray now. So then I can't forget it. I did it, right? <laughs> but we talk about it all the time. I'll pray for you, brother. Hey, we should send out thoughts and prayers, another tragedy. Which every time I hear that, and this is my mind, I'm going to step over here. This is my mind. I think of like the Care Bears. Anybody remember the Care Bears? Right? They were like, Care Bears, there. That's why I think when people say thoughts and prayers. Because I don't think anybody's actually sending anything. I honestly don't think people are actually praying. They're just, they're more thoughts than prayers. Because again, we think about it a lot. We think about sending lots of, but we don't actually do it. We don't actually do it. In 1952, Albert Einstein was delivering a lecture on the campus of Princeton University, and a doctoral student asked the famous scientist, what is left in the world for, the original, uh, for original dissertation research? Which I think is great. If you're going to ask somebody, probably ask a guy like Albert Einstein. He's pretty darn smart. And with a considerate thought and profundity, here's what he said. He said this, find out about prayer. Albert Einstein, a Jewish scientist, a nuclear physicist said, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Maybe we should do the same thing since we actually know what it is. Paul was that somebody who understood prayer and its power. Paul talked about prayer and its power constantly. And prayer was a part of Paul's life, and he took it, and he took it, um, he took it for granted that it would be a part of your life too. Like he just assumed, and if I was a fault Paul anywhere, I think I'd fault him there. Like, he just assumed that you would pray. He assumed that if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd want to talk to him. I think that's a fair assumption, and I think Paul made that assumption, but we just don't do it. He, he assumed that every Christian would want to do that. And, and here's the thing he would say. He would say, you can't be a really good Christian and not pray. Just like you can't really have a good uh, marriage and not talk to your spouse. It doesn't work. You can't be two ships passing in the night. You can't be a Christian and not pray. In both circumstances, you'll be miserable. If you're not talking to your spouse and if you're not talking to God, you're going to be miserable. Prayer is a pipeline of communication between God and his people, between God and those who love him. That's what it is. It's a pipeline of communication. And so the soul tattoo for today, if you want to to write that down, it's going to be on the screen. It's very, very simple, a little bit long, but it says prayer is, for the most part, prayer is an untapped resource, an unexplored content where untold treasures remain to be unearthed. A lot of uns in there. Prayer is an untapped resource, an unexplored content uh, uh, where untold treasure remains to be unearthed. That's what prayer is. If you want to have a fully charged Christian life, you need to figure out what prayer is and how to move forward in it. I want to pray and then we're going to get into it. I got a few points for you today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much.
that you give us a pipeline to communicate with you. That you give us a pipeline to move back and forth and communicate fully with you. Jesus, thank you so much that you give us this opportunity to love you and to follow you. And that in that pipeline, it opens up so much and allows us to be robust in our relationship with you. Help us to tap into it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes... If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The first point is this. The first note is pray with persistence. Pray with persistence. If you're writing notes, you write pray with persistence. Paul begins with saying this. He, he says this in, in Colossians chapter 4. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Or in the KJV, the new KJV, he says, continue, uh, continue earnestly in prayer. In the original language, I was kind of looking at this, in the original language, it says, continue steadfastly, it's kind of the way it's translated, continue steadfastly in prayer. The word translated, continue steadfastly, actually is just one word uh, in the original language. It can be translated to persist, right, to persist, to kind of keep moving forward, to keep moving forward. It also can be uh, translated adhere firmly to or remain devoted to or give unremitting care to. The idea is that you don't stop. You, you don't stop at all. It carries the idea of dedication that you just keep going. You keep pushing. And then 10 times, only 10 times throughout the whole New Testament is this specific word used to tell you to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. It, it actually kind of reminded me of Dory and, and Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. Like that, that's the idea that he's saying. Just, just keep swimming, keep, keep going. Keep asking, keep, keep moving here. And, and out of the 10 times, four of them, four times in the New Testament, out of the 10 times it's used, four of them is dedicated strictly to prayer. Strictly to prayer. It's a very powerful word. And in this verse, it's given this imperative or command. In other words, persistence in prayer is not, listen, it is not an option for the Christian. Again, we treat prayer like an option. It's not an option. It's an order from God. It is an order from God. You want to have a fully charged Christian life? You want to have a fully uh, uh, charged life going into 2024? Then you got to listen to what God commands you to do. And so many times we look at what God's commands are and we go, oh, that's kind of an option. It's not. This is an imperative. This is you will do this. Like everybody knows the word hallelujah, right? I love that word, hallelujah. It means you will praise the Lord, which is fun because we go, oh, praise the Lord. No, 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 no. In Hebrew, it literally says, you will praise the Lord. Notice the difference. The difference is not, hey, if you get around to it, if you want to praise God, do you think he was good to you? Amen. Hallelujah. No, 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 no. You will praise the Lord. It's a command. Hallelujah is a command to you, Christian, to praise the Lord. In the same way, Paul here uses that same command, you will pray and you will continue in prayer. Two of the most instructive parables that Jesus ever told on prayer were Luke 18 and Luke chapter 11. Both have to do with being persistent and not giving up in prayer. Luke 18, 1 says this, Now he was telling them a parable to show them all the times they ought to pray and not lose heart. He says, hey, you're, you're, we're going to pray a lot and you're not going to lose heart. Luke 19, uh, 11 and 9, and you write these down. I want you to look these up a little later. Luke 11 and 9 says, uh, says, where we find the promises he has, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find it. Knock and it shall be opened to you. I always like to add rinse and repeat. Like you don't stop. 
You, you don't stop. Each of those verbs are present in present tense, active verbs. In, in other words, it's translated, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep going. Jesus does not want you to give up in prayer. He instructs us to be persistent. Now, there's a difference between being persistent in prayer and a long prayer. There's a difference between being persistent and long. A person who's persistent in prayer does not necessarily have to pray for a long time. You don't have to pray for a long time. Persistence means not giving up. That's it. Not giving up. So you don't have to sit there and and keep going and going and going. You're not the energizer buddy. But you do need to keep coming back to it. Ask. Seek. Knock. Some people give up easy. Some people quit because they don't feel like praying because the joy is gone, because the feeling's gone. But we're not to live by our feelings. Let me say that again. You're not to live by your feelings. You're to live by the commandments of God. What God asks you to do is what you're supposed to live by. And he tells you to pray without ceasing. It gets hard. Recently, I've started a new workout routine. I know it's not showing, but I'm there. And so I've been lifting in, in the mornings and uh, I'm in with the gym bro so I'm, I'm now at the, at the point like if you go early in the morning like I used to it was just all the cardio people we like to run and sweat a lot right and then uh, apparently there's a transition from like 8 30 to 10 o'clock where all the guys that are built like upside down triangles and everybody that's like 80 or older is there and I don't know how that crowd mixes but they do um, and so like there's guys that are just like boulder shoulders and like you know tats all over them and they're like the nicest guys ever but they're all there right and then there's me you know like the dad bod guy like hey how you doing right and then and then you got all the 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 people that just walk on track and gossip i mean literally that's what they do they walk on the track and gossip it's hilarious and those are the two crews that are there when i go there now and 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 i'm learning how to lift and and i have a little app i'm following that's telling me lift now i don't have like a nice english woman anymore it just beeps at me uh because it just boop in my ear, and I'm like, oh, crap, got to lift weights again. So I'm starting to do that, and I'm trying to lift uh, uh, um, more and more and more, and I'm finding out places I'm strong, places I'm not strong. It's been a very interesting journey. It really has. Over the last four or five weeks, I'm just starting to learn this stuff and figure it out. And one thing I've learned uh, and happened to me this week is as I was going for a lift, and, and I'm not as strong in the upper body, so I'm trying to go for a lift, and I failed. I, I failed. I was doing a, a lift, and it started coming back down. And I was like, this isn't good. And I pushed harder, and it kept coming down towards my face. Now, the bench has like three different hooks, and so I desperately like found a hook over here. and was like looking for one over here, and it, stopped, it started coming towards my face. And I was like, this is not going to be good because, you know, I messed this up. And, and, and out of nowhere, Jimbro, one of the upside-down triangles, grabs the other end with one hand and picked it up. My embarrassed self, I'm like, oh, thank you, man. You know, because, I mean, the only thing that got hurt was my ego, that he picked it up with one hand, and I'm struggling with two. But he got it up. He put it up there. He saved my face. It was great. But I still had another set. So what do I do? Do I, do I give up? I mean, I've, I've already done this before. And I, I've, I, I've done with my two sets. Maybe I just give up. Maybe I, but, and that's what conventional learning would say. Like, well, I feel bad. It sucks. My ego's hurt. And, and the guy actually commiserated with me. Hey, I remember I used to fail at lifts too. But listen, you try this and that. And, that, and talk to me and, and help me out. Spot at me for the next lift. He, he, it, was, it was very nice. I didn't know who he was, but like he just started talking to me. Maybe it, 
when we get our feelings hurt a little bit because God doesn't answer our prayers quickly as we want or doesn't do it in the time we want it to, instead of giving up, we find somebody else to partner with us and walk alongside so you can persist. Maybe you find a person, maybe you don't know them as well, somebody in the church, somebody around you that's willing to pray with you, encourage you. Because when I got this done, done, I, I took some of the weight off. I took about 10 pounds off and I did it again. Did my next set. It hurt. I got it up. And then as soon as I get up, he smacks me on the back way too hard. He's trying to encourage me, but he's like, ah, you know, I don't think he knows his own strength. He, he's very, he's a very large man, but he hit me and I was like, ah, and then he goes, good job, man. Like great job. That was a great lift. And I said, thank you. You know, like, <laughs> so going to my next lift, like, but he was encouraging me. Right. But like, could we encourage each other in prayer in that way? When you're tired and you're feeling down and your feelings are, are feeling the way they are and you want to give up, maybe somebody can come alongside. Maybe instead of letting your feelings rule, you can come back to God and go, I don't know what to do, but my sister or my brother in Christ are with me. They're going to encourage me. They're going to walk with me. They're going to hear me. They're going to go, let's pray together. Let's seek God together. And you don't let your feelings rule you, but you follow the commandments of what God has asked you to do, to pray without ceasing. Maybe. George Mueller One of the greatest prayer warriors of all time had this to say about the persistence of prayer. He said, long quote, he said, It is a common temptation of Satan to make us give up reading the word in prayer when the enjoyment is gone. And as as if it were that no use to read the scriptures when we don't enjoy them. As if it was no use for us to pray when when we have no spirit of prayer. The truth is, in order to enjoy the word, we often have to continue to read it. The way to obtain the spirit of prayer is to continue to pray. The less we read the word of God, the less we desire to read it, and the less we pray, the less we desire to pray. Be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. Some of you guys have started your yearly Bible reading, and you're getting close to Leviticus. That's where a lot of Bible reading plans go to die. Be persistent in prayer. I know you're going to get into a lot of game, names of people begatting people. Be persistent in reading God's word. I know you're going to get to the point where people are knowing each other and all kinds of weird stuff. Just be persistent in going because the only way you're going to get to know more of what God has you to know is to continue to be consistent in what he's asked you to do. Next point, if you're writing these down, is this. Pray with passion. Pray with passion. You want to be fully charged in your Christian life? you got to pray with passion. If you're persistent in something, that means it stands the reason that you're going to be passionate about it. You, you can't just kind of, oh, Jesus, I hope we're into it. Um, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Like, no, no, you're not, you're not a battery winding down. You're, you're going to be charged up. In fact, Paul said that we should be vigilant or watchful is another word that he uses. It's the opposite of slothfulness. In other words, you can't be lazy. You pray with passion. This describes a passionate prayer. Jesus was passionate about his prayer life. It was something he was always doing. Always doing. And there's a book I read uh, years ago called Quiet Talks on Prayer. And it says this, how much uh, prayer meant to Jesus? It's not only a regular habit, but a resort uh, uh, in every, I'm sorry, but his resort in every emergency, however slight or serious. That's what he went to. When perplexed, he prayed. When hard pressed by work, he prayed. When hungry for, fel- uh, for fellowship, he found it in prayer. He chose his associate. He received his messages on his knees. If tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued by body or wearied in spirit, he had a recourse of unfailing habit of prayer. Notice the habit here. Notice the pattern here, right? Prayer bought him an unmeasured power in the beginning, 
and kept the flow of unbroken and undiminished power all the way to the end. There is no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, no temptation that would not yield to prayer. Do you pray that much? Do you pray that much? You want to live a fully charged Christian life in 2024? You have to live a life of prayer. It has to be fully charged. Every time we see Jesus praying, he's praying with passion. Jesus did not go up to the mountain and be like, God, um, I'm I'm in the thick of it now. Uh, Could you help brother out? No, no, no. He went up there in the first place. Luke 3 and uh, 1 is baptism. While he was praying, the heavens open. The heavens open. Passionate prayers open heaven. Passionate prayers will open heaven. Uh, keep going. Luke 6, uh, Luke 6 and 12. Before he called the disciples, he spent the whole night in what? Prayer. Prayer gave him direction. Some of y'all are sitting here going, I don't know what's next. I've been there. I don't know what's next. Go to God. He will give you the direction. Luke in, uh, 9 and 29. During his transfiguration, while he was praying, the appearance of his faith became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. Passionate prayers will exper- help you to experience the glory of the Father. That's what a passionate prayer will do in your life. John in se- uh, 17, the high priestly prayer, the one we all talk about, passionate prayer impacts the lives of others. Jesus prayed about you. He prayed about you and it packs your life today. Matthew 26 and 39 and the garden of Gethsemane. It's only the passionate prayer that pours out in that moment. He prayed so much he was bleeding from his head. He was bleeding for you and I. Luke 23 and 24, he hung on the cross. His life was ending. The life that he lived in passionate prayers enables us to maintain the spirit of God even in the most difficult of circumstances. At that moment, if anybody else is crucified, they're yelling and cursing. What does he do? Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. He prays. He prays. Ladies and gentlemen, his life is marked and filled with prayer. You cut Jesus' prayer, pours out of him again. That's what he did. He prayed. Can we say that about our life, even halfway, even a quarter way? I've been convicted about this as the more I read it. Because Jesus always prayed with passion because he knew who, he knew who it was he was talking to. He knew what he was talking to, who he was talking to. He knew that the Father was the most powerful thing, not something to be taken lightly or, or glibly. Prayer from the heart, that's passionate prayer, is a prayer from the heart, not just from the head. It's from here. Now, a lot of times we start up here and just have a list of things we want to tell God. Hey, uh, if you want to help me with this, you want to do that, if you're free on Thursday afternoon. No, 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 no. No, it's from here. It's your heart. That's how he taught us to pray, pray is it not? If you look at Matthew 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs us on prayer. Here we find the Lord's Prayer, but before that, what does he say? Right before the Lord's Prayer, our Father that's art in heaven, what does he say? Listen, he says, when you pray... When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Jews around the world now send prayers up via fax to the, the wailing wall, which is impressive to me. One, I didn't know fax machines are still around, uh, but they are. But you can literally fax or email your prayers, and then people will print them off and take them to the wailing wall and put them in. What? It's one of the goofiest things I've ever heard in my life, but that's what they do still to this day. He says, don't use meaningless repetition. Don't do the same thing over and over. Because what happened is that we've taken the Lord's Prayer and we've repeated it 
as Christians as, as some kind of magical incantation that we can use. Our Father of Tart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like it's going to bless us and move God to hear us. And that's not what he was saying. Matter of fact, it's crazy because when we read the Lord's Prayer that way, we're doing exactly what he asked us not to do. Literally. Hey, don't use meaningless repetition. Don't say this over and over and over. But I remember going to Catholic school and I got in trouble because I lied to the priest. And then he said, hey, you have to do 15 Our Fathers. And then another 20 Hail Marys. And I'm going up and down the aisles, touching the things. Our Fathers are in heaven. It meant nothing. No, no, no. He was saying, I want you... I want you to hear what's going on. I want you to see what's going on. Don't impress God. Don't, don't, don't do this over and over. Like, if you are with your spouse, I dare you this week, don't do this because you'll blame it on me and I'm going to get in trouble. Just go up to him and be like, I love you. Oh, I really love you. And I just want to tell you today how much I love you. I'm so glad to have this time with you because I love you. Please make sure you feed the children. Please have a good night's rest. Amen. And then walk away. It's, there's no love. There's no passion. Nobody, I, I'm sure after the first day, the first day, they're like, oh, that was really nice. I'm glad they're thinking of me. The day two, they're going to be like, could you stop? Day three, as you walk up, they're like, don't, don't open your mouth. Don't. Right? Like, <laughs> because you know what they're going to say. It's the same thing. I love you. Oh, I really love you. And I want to tell you today how much I love you. So glad to have this time with you. I love you. Please feed the children. Please clean the house. May all go well with you. Amen. And then, no! If you do that, one, don't call me. I'm not helping. Two, like, it's freaky, but we do that with God and expect him to be like, oh, she's talking to me again. That's not what he wanted. He said, pray with passion. Talk to me. Our father, your daddy. That's who he's saying. Because when you don't call God father back then, but he said, call him your dad. He's personal. He's somebody close who is in heaven. You know the place you want to be? So you're telling him his location. You're letting, reminding yourself that God is in heaven, but he's looking out for you. Holy be your name. He is set apart from you. He, he, he is set apart from you, and he's asking us to be a set apart just like that from the world. Your kingdom come. You're begging for his kingdom to come. What what part of your life needs God's kingdom to intervene and be a part of? Your will be done in my life. What does it look like for the will of God to be done in your life? What parts of your life do you need to ask him for that? On earth as it is in heaven. He has full reign there. Does he have full reign in your life? Are there parts of your life you need to put down to him and say, God, I need you to have full reign over this, this relationship, this job, this kid, this thing. What, What part do you need? And keep going. It's not just a rote prayer. It's a passionate prayer from the heart. James 5.16 says this, an effective prayer, effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Are you willing to give that kind of prayer? Number three, if you're writing notes. Pray with thankfulness. If you want to have a fully charged Christian life, pray with thankfulness. Paul never fails to mention this. Ephesians 5 and 20 tells us that thanksgiving is a natural result of being filled with and walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You pray with thankfulness. Philippians 4 and 6, my man is in jail, and here's what he wrote. It tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything pray, giving thanks as we make petitions to God. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18 tells us to give thanks at all times for God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 and 17 says believers 
Everything we say or do shall be done with the Lord, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ to give thanks to him. First Timothy 4 and 4, he talks to his protege. He says, the food and marriage are good things given to us by God, but we're received with what? Thanksgiving and gratitude. Expressing gratitude, expressing thankfulness to God does several things. It, it articulates my dependence on God. The reason why we tell our kids to say thank you for something is because, you know, when, when we get to Christmas and the kid gets the present, and they open it up, they tear up the box, and they go, yay! And then they proceed to, like, get up and make that, that jab step so they can dip out the room, right? We always go, ah, right? Say thank you. And the kids are like, oh, I want to say thank you. Well, here's the reality, Jimmy. You can't buy what they just gave you. You, you, you ain't got you know, two pennies to rub together. You can't buy your little dirty socks, your little nasty underwear. You, can, you can't buy any of that stuff. Your grandma gave you something. You will say, thank you. We're teaching you dependence on them because they gave you something you can't get. That's why you say thankful. That's why you say thank you to God. Because God has given you breath in your lungs and you ain't creating oxygen. Because God has given you electricity to run your heart and you're not doing that unless you're doing this all day, but you're not. He's given you eight pounds of gray matter between your ears that's bouncing around in there making you think and function even when you're not thinking or knowing how to function and, he, and he's doing all of that without you. You should thank him for it. Thankfulness creates dependence. It articulates dependence. It also demonstrates a relationship. When you say thankful to your grandma, you're acknowledging, when your mama, your daddy, whoever gave you whatever, you're acknowledging there's a relationship there. In the same way, when we are thankful to God, you're acknowledging a relationship. It communicates gratitude and proper attitudes. Let me talk real quick about proper attitudes. Because I know proper attitudes. There, there are things in this world, and I'm getting older, so I, I, I understand this, that just annoy me now, right? Kids that just don't have proper attitudes. They don't know how to say yes or no. They don't, they don't know how to do these things. And because we haven't taught that. And I know it's not them. It's whoever they grew up with. That's fine. We're working on that, right? When it comes to the God of the universe, we need to have a proper attitude. He owes you nothing. Let me say it again. He owes you nothing. Some people act like, well, I believe God when he's, he owes you. The fact that you are alive and stealing his oxygen is enough for him. And he doesn't even owe you that. We show gratitude and a proper attitude when we are thankful to God. And it generates humility. When you realize your place, when you realize that you are not the main character, when you understand those ideas, then you know your place. I had to understand that very quickly. Maybe you didn't grow up in a household with a kid's table. I had the kid's table. I remember when I got to college and I finally brought a dish to Thanksgiving. I graduated out of the kid's table. It was a blessed moment. Um, but I, we, we had the kid's table. And, and we had the, you don't interrupt. You, don't, you, know, you had everything. I understood my place in the family. In the same way, when it comes to God, I, I need to under my, understand my place before him. My place before him is like Isaiah when he was in the temple and he fell on his knees and said, I'm a man of unclean people and unclean lips. I, I have nothing to offer you. I'm a man of sin. And God cleansed him and brought him to him. That is our position before God. Lastly, I want to encourage you, if you want a fully charged Christian life, to pray making intercession. 
Making intercession is a big Christian word. We're going to break it down here in a second. Pray, making intercession. Intercessory prayer is basically praying for other people, not just you. Because most prayers are this. God, I, 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 I. We sound like Speedy Gonzalez back on the old cartoons. Like, and that's, not, that's not what you're supposed to do. It's not about you. It's not about you. Intercessory prayers are characterized by the prayer life of Jesus. Isaiah 53 and 12, the Bible says, He himself bore the sins of many and interceded for transgression. He was praying for you and I. That, that's what he bore our sins and prayed for us. Luke 22 and 23, Jesus tells Peter, I have prayed for you. By the way, this is one of the scariest prayers. I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. This is after Peter, <laughs> after Peter found out that the devil had asked for him. And Jesus said, all right, like, whoa, hey, time out. He said, no, no, Peter, you'll be okay. I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Thanks. It's one of the freakiest, but I love it because God, he says, I'm praying for you. 23, uh, 23 and 34 on the cross. Jesus praying for others. For God, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. John 14 and 15. Jesus interceded for us. Father, send the Holy Spirit. John 17 and 19. He prayed for us, the church, in his high priestly prayer. Listen to the intercessory, intercessory nature of this. I ask on their behalf, is what Jesus says. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but for those that you have given to me. He's talking about you, Christian. I'm praying for you is what he says. Romans 8 and 34 tells us that Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father to this day, making intercession for you and I. He's making intercession for you. Hebrews 7 and 25, he says that he is able to uh, save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always makes intercession intercession for them. Jesus prayed intercessory prayers. He's ever praying for others. Understanding the power of prayer, Paul wanted to make sure that, that, that Christians understood that they were to, what they were to pray for. He says, you are to pray for specific purposes. You're to pray for specific purposes. He wants you to pray for him. He said, I want you to pray for me. I want you to open doors. I want you to pray for others in that way. I love having men and women in my life that I know will pray for me. Their prayers are powerful. We need more prayer warriors. We need more men and women that are willing to be on their knees day and night praying for people. We need more people like my my wife's grandmother who has just a list of people she prays for. We need more people to look at things that are ungodly and go, God, get rid of it in your name. Amen. And move on. We, We need people that are willing to intercede on behalf of us to the Father. And we need you to do the same thing. Have you prayed for your children if you have them? Have you prayed for your spouse, even though you may or may not have them? Have you prayed for your future, for your job, for your boss? Yes, that one. Have you prayed for people that annoy you? Have you prayed for your neighbor? Have you prayed? Because so many times when we pray, our prayers focus on us. Have we prayed? And I mean specifically, not, um, Jesus, you know them. I mean, help them. Amen. No, no, I'm talking about specific stuff. You know what's going on. Pray for that. Are you doing that? It's instructive to know that God, that Paul is not asking them to pray for his legal situation. If you notice, Paul's in Colossians. He's not going, hey, if you get around to, could you pray that I get out of jail? That's not what he's asking. He never asked that. That he would be released from prison or anything like that. He's asking them to pray that he would have the opportunity to lead somebody in Christ while he's in jail. Paul, literally sitting in jail, 
writes a letter to everybody and says, hey, don't pray that I get bail. Don't pray that I make bond. Don't pray that they equip my case. Pray that these guards that are heathens get to hear and know about Jesus. Is that your prayer? Because, you know, in jail, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting in jail, my first prayer is get me out. Jesus, this place is horrible, right? Get me home. I want to be out of here. I can't sleep and this food is nasty, right? Paul says, I'm here. Somebody's about to get saved. Will you pray for them? Are you praying that way? Paul wanted their prayers to be in accordance to God's will. God's will, not simply greedy desires of us living in the world, but God's specific will. Paul is always concerned with doing the will of God. How many of our prayers are directed at the expansions of God's external kingdom? How many times have we prayed? And and I I say this as questions I'm asking myself. How many times this year so far have I prayed that my prayers have been about the expansion of God's eternal kingdom rather than expansion of my little petty kingdom? My little fiefdom that I have here on earth. If I was able to chronicle your prayers, how much time you actually spent talking about different time, how much time would it be spending on uh, on your family or your health or or the well-being of your loved ones compared to how much you're praying for for, uh, those that are headed to hell right now? Like an honest question, and that's a hard one because I had to ask myself that question this week. Like if I'm literally thinking, if I truly believe, Christian, that there's a real hell where people will spend eternity, how many times am I praying and, 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 and weeping and asking the Father, can I lead somebody else? Can I talk to somebody else? Am I ever in that moment or am I just worried about me? Intercessory prayer changes things. There's a pastor out of a seminary that wrote this. He said, uh, years ago in Dallas, they were having trouble finding a teacher for a junior high boys class in their church. List of prospects, they only had one name. And when they told, uh, they told me who it was, he said, you got to be kidding. Because he didn't think it could have been more wrong. But he, he gave it to this young man that was in there, and, and the guy took the class and he, he revolutionized it. And this, pastor, this professor said he was so impressed, he invited this young man to his home for lunch and asked him the secret to success. He's like, you're in a junior high boys class. You're a 27-year-old man. <laughs> like, how are you getting these boys, one, to behave? Like, I'm around junior high boys. It, it's, it's like herding cats, right? And how are you going to behave? Number one, the two, the class is growing. More people are showing up. What, what are you doing? Are you feeding them crack? Like, I don't understand. Like, just make it make sense, right? I, I, I'm willing to learn from you, Right? And on one page, uh, he had a small picture of, the, uh, picture of the boys, and on the other, there were comments like having trouble with arithmetic, uh, comes to church against parents' wish- wishes, uh, or want to be a missionary one day, but doesn't, uh, but doesn't want to do what it takes. So he had all the boys' picture, and then next to it, he had all these notes. And the young man said this, I pray over these pages every day, and I can hardly wait to come to church every Sunday to see what God has been doing in their life. Think about that. He took the picture of the individual and what he knew about them, he said, I pray for God's kingdom in their life every day. And then I come to church expecting to see what God is doing. Do we come that way? You see, when we pray for others, when you pray for God's work to be done, for his will to be accomplished, he will begin to use you to to grow in ways that will astonish everyone around you. So he'll have you looking crazy about all the middle school boys that you're now helping out and leading, and you're going, that doesn't make sense. 
But so many times our world has taught us to be so focused on you and your will and what's going on in your world instead of being focused on God's eternal kingdom. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to seek like Jesus. I want to learn like Jesus. I want to grow like Jesus. I want to pray like Jesus. I want my life to be fully charged all the way to the end like Jesus. The only way we can do it is to pray like him. So, again, I'm going to go back to my soul tattoo. I'm going to write this down. I want you to hear it. It says this. Prayer is an untapped resource. Untapped resource, an unexplored uh, content where untold treasure remains to be unearthed. You actually tap this resource, I'm telling you right here and now, it will change 2024 for you. It will flip everything upside down because you will be fully charged and ready to run with Christ. We must pray for others. And I'll give you five things if you want to write them down. They're on the screen. You can, what happens when you pray? It eternalizes the burden. It deepens our ownership of the burden of our partnership. I had a friend of mine years ago. Uh, he, he really liked Britney Spears. Um, and uh, he would watch her videos and stuff like that. And, and he, he felt convicted. And he goes, I'm going to start praying for her to get saved. And I remember going, huh, Britney Spears, like, you know, the person you'll never meet that's on TV, that person? He's like, I'm going to pray for her. And he did, faithfully. And every time, but he internalized the burden because he, 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 he created a partnership with God and said, God, save her. Pray, God might answer our prayer, but it involves us to be a part of it. He asks you, part of the kingdom of God, to be a part of it. Number two, prayer forces you to wait. Nobody likes that. It forces you to wait. It forces you to wait on God's timing. Let's, let's say this again. God's timing is not fun. We can all say that out loud and be on. God's timing is not fun. Nobody wants to admit that. You know, we're church folk. We're like, no, God's timing. God's timing is not fun. There's never a time where I've looked back and be like, ooh, Jesus, that was perfect timing. It's perfect timing for him. Usually it's five days late for me, right? But like, it's, it's one of those things where you get done with it. You're like, oh, I see what you were doing. But waiting for God, there's three prayers that he answers every time. It's yes, no, and wait. And wait is his favorite answer. Hold up. Wait a minute. It's wait. The tension is resolved by being persistent and accepting that he's doing something in his timing. Number one, prayer opens your spiritual eyes. It opens your spiritual eyes. You begin to see things. It it enables you to get in touch with what God is doing and how he's doing it. It it enables you to see what's going on around you. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to do this, but 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 17. Uh, um, Attendant... I was going to read the scripture. It says, The attendant of a man of God had ridden early, got out of bed. Behold, an army of horses and chariots were circling the city. His servant said to him, Alas, my master, what do we do? And so he answered, Do not fear, for those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And then Elisha, you got, I love the story. Elisha said, Oh, Lord, pray and open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and saw, and behold, a mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God is surrounding your enemies he is there to fight on your behalf right now will open your eyes through prayer but so many of us are just blind to what he's already seeing around us prayer opens your eyes there are times where you will walk if you ever go on a trip with me i'm going to put you in a situation where you are in danger i'm just gonna let you know we went last year to uh, new orleans to literally the most dangerous neighborhood in new orleans more stabbings and shootings and we prayer walked that thing And I didn't tell a single student about it until we got done. Then I said, hey, look at the stats. And all of it was red. New Orleans already has a crime rate. And that was red. Like, hey, this is really, really bad. And they said, why were we there? I said, because they need prayer. 
And what you didn't see is the angels guarding you. What you didn't feel is the chariots of people riding around you, guarding you right now, keeping you safe because the Lord is with you. Prayer will open your spiritual eyes. Number four, it aligns your heart with God's heart. Adjustment and alignment, you know, when you go to the chiropractor, they crack you up and they move your spine in the right place. They adjust and align you so you are alignment and things work. When you are aligned with God, you set your thoughts, your emotions, your will, your actions, all aligned with God. Nothing's in pain anymore. Nothing's in pain anymore. By the way, sometimes when you get that first adjustment, it doesn't feel good. That second adjustment doesn't feel good. By the time you get to the fourth, fifth, you start going, ooh, okay, that's good. Adjustments aren't always fun. But once you get in line, it runs really well. Number five, prayer enables you to move forward. It enables you to move forward. So many of us are caught in a holding power over what happened. What happened or what has happened or what is happening to us has a power over you that does not allow you to move forward. God says prayer will help you to move forward. It engages God, enables God's people, enlarges the kingdom. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Once we've prayed, we are ready to do anything. You are ready to do anything. Until we have prayed, you are ready to do nothing. But once you've prayed, you are ready to do anything. You can accomplish anything for his will. So what does your prayer life look like this morning? I mean, just honestly, for 2024, as we get out of January, yes, we are almost done with January. It's close. We're moving into February, right? And, and, and we got this next step. What, what does my prayer life look like moving into 2024? How much time do you spend thanking God for all he's done for you? Who are you praying for? Specifically, who are you praying for? Is there anyone that needs to be saved in your life that you're praying for right now? Is there a burden on your heart? Is there a way that you can see God's will done? I would love to join you in that. I would love to find out how I can be praying for you. What things are going on in your life. And it may be your family, your friends. It also may be your neighbor that needs Jesus. Maybe a family member that needs Jesus. Co-worker that needs Jesus. It may be a situation in your life you've been dealing with for years. And you're like, God, I need you to resolve this. Yes, no, wait are his answers. Wait's the worst one, but it's the one he may give you. I want to pray with you now. Father, thank you so much that you gave us a son, your son, who lived a life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve on the cross. Father, there are so many things that you have asked us to do. And in this time, you have been present with us even when we haven't been faithful to you. Father God, I thank you so much because Right now in my life, I need you to pray with you, to walk with you, to love you. I need to be righteous, even though many around me are not. I need to be steadfast in what you called me to do, because so many would have me come off of what you would have me to do and move in a different direction. Father, there are people in my life that I need to pray for. Bring them to mind. Help me to be diligent about praying for their souls. Help me to run to you, not as a break glass in case of emergency, but run to you because I just eat and I breathe and I live and I just want to talk to you through the pipeline you've created for me. Thank you that we will fail, but you will be there to lift us up and those in the body will be there with us. Jesus, thank you so much because we do all of this for you 
your name, your glory, and draw closer to you, our Father. Help 2024 to be a more prayerful and fervent year than we've ever seen before. In your name we pray. And all God's saints will say, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio of Soma Community Church located in Jefferson City. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for the content or alter it in any way without express written permission. For more information about Soma, please visit us at www.somajc.org.